Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. did you know that a bunch of horses got elected to, are about to get elected to Congress? I didn't know that. And it's a real problem because the only thing they can say is nay. <laughs> Actually, th- that suits Congress pretty well. <laughs> So we need to get out there and vote and make sure it's not just horses in there. Otherwise, you can't get anything done. It was a joke about voting. But do vote tomorrow as you're listening to this is Election Day in the United States. And if you are a USian who who is eligible to vote, head over to your polling place and say, I'd like one of them ballots. Because I like I one of them ballots. Cast it. I'm not here it's to tell tomorrow. you tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day. If you're listening to this, the day it comes out. If you're not, if you listen to it the day after, today is the day. If you're listening to it on Wednesday, you missed your chance. I'm not here to tell you how to vote, but if you want to make, tell you to vote, if you want to make my personal life easier, if you could <laughs> vote for school board candidates who aren't trying to ban my book, Looking for Alaska, that would be a huge. It would just be a huge solid for me that you could that you could do for me personally. <laughs> so look up your school board candidates and notice whether they actively celebrate the banning of books on their website. Yeah. And if they do, yeah, you know, I, again, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I, I will tell you what would be helpful for me personally. And if you want to know more about your voting situation, it's very easy to look up your registration status, whether you can register same day, where your polling place is. All this stuff is much easier to find than when I was maybe your age, when I was first voting anyway, and you had to like get a piece of mail to tell you where to go. No, it's the future. It's now and it's much, it's much easier. And so we should all be doing that thing. Uh, John, this is unrelated to that previous conversation for a reason that I, I'm not necessarily going to get into. I went to Tumblr recently to see sort of like what the vibe was uh-huh. there. Sure. Maybe I might be interested in spending time on a different social media platform than the ones that I, than the one I spend most of my time on that I don't know uh, is healthy for me. Oh yeah, no, I can tell you from experience that Tumblr is super good. Yeah, it's super healthy. 
<laughs> so, so good. I would. It's been a while since I checked it out. The, what what I want to say. I went to Tumblr.com. I opened it up, and it was like, here's a bunch of uh, of things for you. Here's a bunch of information, things you might be interested in. And one of them was, do you want to send your friends crabs? What? You can send crabs to your friends for $2.99. At Tumblr? Which is out. Our idea. They stole Crabulous, Crabulo.us, Crabulous, the world's hit crab picture sharing web service. Yeah. Yeah. You can say it's a limited edition crab, Tumblr dashboard crabs. You can also send your friend a Tumblr horse friend mm. and get busy scooping mm-hmm. or get busy dying. I don't oh, know what boy. that means. Seems like a lot. Well, Hank, I don't know how to say this exactly, mm-hmm. but- you going back onto Tumblr, and I just I just looked, just went to Tumblr.com for the first time in some some some, some years, and <laughs> you having posted to Tumblr like six times in the last three days is the single biggest <laughs> betrayal of my love and trust <laughs> <laughs> of the whole brotherhood. Essentially, of the whole brotherhood. Tumblr is Tumblr is made of many people. Well, Hank, I'm glad that you are seeking out alternative social media addictions because that seems that <laughs> seems like, like the a right really call. it seems That's the like right the right thing call. to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. If, if, if it's better to replace than to just touch grass. Before I have to think for one more second about Tumblr, let's answer this question from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my seven-year-old son, John Henry, asked where the paper goes when you cut it with a pair of scissors, specifically the part that was connected to what used to be one piece of paper that is now two. Ah. Is it paper dust? I'm not sure if he means this on the atomic level, but he's sure something strange is happening. Much ado about two, Sarah. So when you cut a piece of paper, Hank, in half. Uh Uh-huh. And you add the remaining mass of the two sheets of paper. Uh-huh. It is a little less. Is it? It's got to be. Are you sure? Did, 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 you read, did you read that on the internet? Hank, let's do some standard Dear Hank and John lateral thinking to analyze this issue. Okay? <laughs> well, yeah. So here's, here's what I think. I think it is going to be a little, a little less. It has to be a little can, less. Wait, wait. Can we, try, can we try the lateral thinking thing first? I think it could oh, be what's very that? funny. What's that look like? That's where you imagine an analog situation and you try to figure it out from there whether part of the piece of paper disappeared. Gotcha. So if I cut down a tree, yes. there's definitely sawdust. I know that. Right. Great example of lateral thinking. If I cut a car in half, uh-huh. definitely some pieces there's car are dust. no longer in either half of the car. There's car dust. Now, as you know, Hank, when I'm in this situation, I like to imagine a much larger example to see how the physics would play out there. So let's imagine a piece of paper the size of the earth. <laughs> if you cut that piece of paper in half, okay, mm-hmm. are you picturing it with me? Yeah, it's just the earth is the earth is a piece of paper. The now. earth is it's flat. As as indeed it always has been. And it is. <laughs> we live on we it. We live on its surface and you cut it in half. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is going to be, I think, some stardust, some floaty floaties. Some, just some floaty floaties? I think if you cut Earth as a piece of paper enough times that it would actually form rings around the center of gravity 
which in this case is a piece of paper. Well, I think that the rings would, of course, have to be, uh, the, it wouldn't be a ring, it would be like a, a box. Great, great be a point, square. great point. It would be, be a rectangle. <laughs> exactly, because if it's a ring, then that would imply yeah. a spherical planet, which... <laughs> it's just clearly not what's Clearly happening. not what's happening. So yeah. I'm saying that if you cut a piece of paper enough times, it would disappear. I think you are probably wrong. What? But maybe not. So like there's I I don't know. I guess you're right. Like some atoms probably stick to the scissors somehow. But I think that what's happening is so like with a when you're chainsawing a tree, you're grabbing individual little bits of that tree and you're shoving them out. That's what that's what chainsawing is. I have to leave the microphone for a moment, so Hank's going to continue monologuing, but I have to look for a pair of scissors. But if I'm cutting, if I'm cutting the paper, I think that the paper, it's like glass. There it is. When you break a, when you just crack a piece of glass, there's not some glass dust that shoots up into the air. It's just all the glass stays on one side or the other side. It's like glass. Hold on. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I strongly disagree, but I still haven't found any scissors. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Where's my scissors? I have scissors too. Oh, I just have a, I have a little knife. I have a, I have a razor. I'm going to do my best to not cut myself right now. What's this? Can I cut this piece of paper? There's dust, John. There's dust. I don't need your scissors. I got them. I got it. There's dust. You're right. It's also just an excellent ASMR experience going on over here. Oh my God, that was such a journey. I'm back. Oh, okay. This dust, John. Hold on a second. Did you find scissors? I found scissors. Oh. Well, it's too late. I already found, I already got it, and there's dust. Oh, it's visible. I mean, there's visible dust. There's visible dust. So not only do I do, not only are we wrong about not only were you wrong about the oh, that's so loud. <laughs> not only were, oh God, please stop. Oh no! What's what's the opposite of ASMR? <laughs> um, what's what's the ASMR for? Where it just makes your life worse in every way. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. It was a real it was a real run to get you the really scissors, were, but there's definitely there's definitely dust. But the the other thing that's happening mm-hmm. maybe if so, the, maybe if so my knife were sharper, it wouldn't have dust though. So there's definitely dust. But the other thing I would like to observe, Hank, is that. I think even when you split glass in half, there is a remnant. Mm. I think there is something, I think there is glass dust or sand, as you might call it, that isn't in either pane of glass if you split them in half. But this is definitely creating dust. Now, if you had a perfectly sharp edge, I'm not sure if it would. And so the other thing is that I just, okay, so when I did it with paper, it created dust. But when I did it with like a note card, like something that's thicker, Mm -hmm. like almost like poster board, Mm -hmm. there is no visible dust, not even on the blade of the scissors. Oh. So now I'm, now I'm rethinking it. We don't have a good answer for you. Look, look, I kind of agree with John that like atoms are very small and they're weird. So if you, if you have weird small atoms. Right. I mean, when you're cutting something, you have to be cutting it. Like if you're, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into this, Hank. But like, if you're cutting something, there has to be something in the cut 
that is lost. Oh, does there? That's the that's the question. I think in, if I think inherently, I don't. Th- I don't think so. I don't think you can separate two things without there being something lost, right? Did, Hank, did we just win a Nobel Prize for physics? Well, well, we may have won a Nobel Prize for peace, John, because because really what we're talking about is people, aren't we? <laughs> there's no there's no way that we're talking about that we're just talking about paper right now. When you say something like you can't separate two things without something being lost, we're no we're not yes. talking about paper anymore. No, no, we're talking about diplomacy. We're talking about love. We're talking about love. We're talking about Nobel Peace Prize stuff, Hank. And you know what the thing that is lost is, is between two people is got, it's gotta be like spit or snot or something, something liquid. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely microbiota. <laughs> Microbiotic. Yeah. I just, I think there is something lost when you cut a piece of paper. And I think there is something lost when you separate any two things. But now I'm thinking, well, if you separated two atoms, there would be nothing lost, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe there isn't. Okay, but if you separated two atoms, there would be nothing lost. But we're talking about a huge collection of atoms where like a very small amount of stuff could fall off and it could be invisible. The thing is, I'm not entirely sure how paper even works now that we're talking about it. Because it's, are, are, is it just a bunch of strands of cellulose stuck together and are like what's sticking is it van der waals forces or hydrogen bonds or covalent but like what is it that's doing the sticking of all the paper together and what am i actually cutting because because what 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 but i think that the deeper point i'm holding up this piece of paper that i've cut like 20 times is that there is now nothing between what was once two pieces of paper but the question is, did you have to remove something in order for there to be that nothing there? I don't think so. I think that you can introduce nothing without removing anything. I don't exactly understand what you just said. You had me. I think that you, can, you had you can me add until nothing you had me until COVID without removing bombs. something. So you're saying you can <laughs> add nothing without removing something. So you can yeah. turn one piece of paper into two pieces of paper where you don't add anything. We are putting nothing between two pieces of the paper. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's correct. I'm not sure that we are. But you're not taking anything away. You've only added nothing. Right. But functionally. Okay, yes, maybe that's true in a uh, maybe that's true in a vacuum, but functionally, when you cut an actual piece of paper with actual scissors, my argument is that there yeah. must be some kind of invisible dust that is involved in that cutting, right? No. Well, I mean, there doesn't have to be. There might be, and it seems like there is based on our, our practical experiments. But I don't think that there has to be. I think that you can add nothing to something and have the same amount of something that is now two things instead of one. Okay. You've introduced a gap between the thing, but the gap exists, but you didn't have to take anything out to make the gap. You just added nothing. Okay. Now, I realize that we should move on from this question, but I would I would <laughs> like to propose an additional level of lateral thinking now that we're a little further <laughs> along in our investigations. Mm-hmm. Give me a lateral example of something that you add nothing to it, and then it's two somethings, but they are the combined size of the same previous something. I'm going to go ahead and say literally anything. No. Yeah, because when you say 
So, so the question isn't- well, First off, I don't agree with literally anything because if you did that to my body, you would not have no. two equal- no. Okay. No, not two. Yeah. But some finite number of individual parts. So if we're saying that there's a bunch of dust that gets removed from the paper when we cut it, yeah. there is now space between not two pieces of paper, but many pieces of paper. So we're only, what we're only saying is there's either two, there's definitely two, but there might be more than two pieces of paper. And some of the pieces of paper are, are so small, we cannot see them. There's a finite number of pieces of paper. So in this example- yeah. With nothing between them, with like air between them now. Right. So you can really only apply this to anything that's not living, because if you if you split a living thing in half, you're not going to have two things. <laughs> There's some animals where that works that way, but yeah, that's true. Okay, <laughs> dang it. So if you if you do it to a stenter, then you're you're just like, wow, look at all like now I got 18 stenters <laughs> with oh. with stuff between them. So who knows, John? Who knows? This reminds me of a great artwork by Gordon Matta Clark, where he split a house in half and makes me wonder if anything was lost or if indeed something instead was gained. This next question comes from Chloe, who writes, Dear John and Hank, did silent letters used to not be silent? Thanks, Chloe. Gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be. No, no other reason why. We had knifes. You think we had knifes? Or knives. We had knifes. You think, okay... So, Hank, I want to ask you a very serious question. Okay. When in the history of the English language do you think that people got stabbed with connives? Oh, wait. Excuse me. When in the history of the English language precisely do you think people got st stabbed with connives? <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to pick up on that. That's... Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say the 1400s and I'm going to, and I'm going to say they didn't like it just as much as they did now, but it was a little more fun. I mean, there's some words with silent letters that didn't exist until recently. So obviously they were never pronounced, <laughs> but they're based on words that used to exist. You don't make, nobody makes up words from scratch. Well, a little bit sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But I know what you mean. But, I mean, there are a yeah. lot of words that are relatively recent, including, like, light, L-I-G-H-T. No, light's not recent. Yeah, it is. That sounds very old. No, we did, we, in English, there was no word for light mm -hmm. until the 17th century. The idea didn't exist. But in, but in German, it was Licht. And in Dutch, it was Licht. And so we were like, Licht. And then we were like, Light. No, it didn't exist in German or Dutch either. It says it right here. No, Hank, there was no, there was no word for the idea of light. There was a word for day, but there was no word for light, like the, what comes from the sun or comes from an artificial light source until the 18th century. The 18th century? Yes. The idea of light did not exist until the 18th century. Wow, that's cool. Oh my God, can I convince him of anything? Oh, yes, oh no. I can convince, can convince him of, me of that. anything. I am the greatest. I was, I was oh one click God. away, one oh. click away. I mean, he even looked at an etymology dictionary and he was like, it says that it was a word in Dutch and I still tricked him. Yeah, I, I wasn't I, looking I at the him, authoritative I one, but I got there. 
that the idea of light It's from Proto-Indo-European. It's old as hell. Of course it's old, Hank. It's light. <laughs> it's literally the first thing we needed Being to have a name punished. for. <laughs> for something. It was, it was the second word after me. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, anyway, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that as far as I can tell from what I've looked up and I've looked up you know, because it's always a fun thing to do, that usually there was some reason why there was the extra letters and then we just lost them. And so there used to be like thruff. And then we were just like, ah, through is easier than that. Yeah, I don't know that that's, but but for for all the like rights and sights and mm-hmm. nights and yeah, all those or and flights, those all come from other languages. Right. Where they are semi-pronounced. Right. I mean, they don't sound pronounced to me, but then when I speak German, people are always like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, all the times when you speak German. Did I ever tell you about the time that I was in Germany with Sarah and we went to, you know, like a convenience kiosk late one night and Sarah was like, please, God, whatever you do, just speak English. Please, please, please just speak English. It'll be fine. And I was like... I am going to order this Sprite in German. And she was like, please, God, don't. And I walked up to the person and I said, I'm Sprite, bitter. And Sarah just, Sarah just, I mean, I thought she was going to just, the ground was going to swallow her up. But I speak German, Hank. I can say, I'm Sprite, bitter. Yeah, you can. I can also say the title of The Fault in Our Stars, Das Schicksal ist ein Miserator. That's a lot. That's a lot of German words. Da. Um, is that how they say yes? There's ger- there's there's people listening who speak German, and I don't know how they're feeling about do that. They, what do they say for yes? What's their word? It's not da? Well, they say, what is yes in German? This says that it's Jawohl, which ja-wol. seems definitely wrong. Ja-wol. It's ya. It's ya. Wait. Ya. Of, of all the, it's ya. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Da is, uh, yeah. Okay. Ya. Yeah. Ya. Yeah. I speak German. Ja. Sprachen Sie Deutsch, ja. as they say. Ja. On, off Deutsch. Good. Good for you, John. I wanted to say thank you, but then I couldn't remember how to say it. Give me a second. Patience. <laughs> Patience. Dankeschön. Dankeschön. There it is. This next question comes from Anna, who uh, we're going to move on. We got to. If you ask Dear Hank and John, why do, you, why do you smell smells when you inhale, but not when you exhale? Where does the smell go? Ooh, where does the smell go? Oh, all right, I thought I had an answer for this question, but now that I'm looking at it a little deeper, I am more confused. So you definitely do smell on the way out and on the way in. You could do both. And in fact, there's names for, for both of these things. The, and the way uh, when breathing in, it's called orthonasal olfaction. And when you breathe out, it's called retronasal infa- olfaction. And retronasal olfaction is how you can taste when you're eating things that are not sweet, sour, bitter, hmm. uh, and the other one, <laughs> umami, or maybe there's another salty. That's there. They all are. I found them all. Uh, but yeah, all those other tastes where it's like, you know, all the complexities of flavor is you are breathing out and the smell is coming from your mouth. 
which is wild to think. And you can oh, taste so all when you breathe out, the smell is coming from your mouth. Yeah. Okay, because I was just trying to smell a Diet Dr Pepper can. Although I have to tell you, slightly off topic, my relationship with Diet Dr Pepper is in real jeopardy. But I was just trying <laughs> oh, to no. smell an exhale in the Diet Dr Pepper can, and I don't smell anything when I exhale. And yeah. Diet Dr Pepper has a very distinct odor. Yeah, and so, but but what what I don't know. And what is an amazing fact is when I, so theoretically, I breathe in a big bolognese and on the way in, I'm like, mm, that smells like good food. Yeah. But then what, where do the smell compounds go? Where does So that the when I'm breathing that, that same air out, I'm breathing that same air out. Yeah. I bro- blow it through my nose. I don't smell it. Does it all get like trapped somewhere? Does it get trapped on the way in? When I smell it, do I capture all of the, no, no way. I don't like being in a body. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, this it's, isn't what I would pick. Are, I wouldn't have picked um, this way. If you could have like let me mm-hmm. design, you know how in like Dungeons and Dragons, you can decide whether you want to be an elf or a dwarf or whatever. Right. If you'd let me pick, I would not have picked being in a body that has all this sensation. Yeah, I think I would have gone with, and let me know if this is a little bit too much, but I think I would have gone with like a, a one-dimensional line like just a line that couldn't you couldn't interact with, yeah, but could sense, and so I could like tell you what I see. Mm-hmm. I could like sneak around. This would be a good D and D character, but I can't be hurt. I can't. I can't. I don't. There's no entropy. I'm. Don't, I am just a don't, line. Don't you need a second dimension in order to sneak around? I like the idea. No. Why? I mean, I'd need. I'd need some way of uh, moving through space. Yeah. So I am one dimensional, but I move through three dimensional space, just like we are three dimensional, but we move through four dimensional space. Is there a chance that there's something that's one dimensional moving through three dimensional space that I don't know about? I feel like we'd see it. Would we? But I don't know. I, I can't see one dimensional If it was things. always sort of like on, if it was on edge, which is what you tried to do if you were me, a one dimensional being. You try to always be on edge to the thing that's looking at you so that they can't see you. But then when you're sideways, when you're perpendicular, then they'd be like, ah, oh, line, I see it. Quick, we're being spied upon. Wait, would it look like Ring a line? The bell. Would it look like a line or would it look like a whole plane? It would look like a line. Two-dimensional would be a plane. Wait, but then how is it visible if it's a line? How thin is it? It's infinitely thin in every direction, right? That's great. I'm invisible. Now I'm a great spy. I'm the best. I'm the best. Wait, you just throw whoa, me whoa, in there. Whoa, whoa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really bad at geometry. I, I, I To be honest with you, Hank, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't do well in geometry. Well, I don't know either, obviously. I'm asking you. Uh-huh. If you are a line, aren't you always on edge? Like, the only reason I can see a line that I plot on a graphing calculator is because... I'm imagining a world that looks like that world, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I can see a line that's a right. true line, that's truly yeah, in one-dimensional right. space. I think you can see a plane. I think you, I think you can see a plane, yeah. but you can't see a one-dimensional line. So, yeah, maybe we're constantly surrounded by sentient one-dimensional lines who are like, oh, my God, I don't believe these people have to poop all the time. Oh, God. I don't want to be surrounded by sentient one-dimensional lines. 
I would like somebody you, to tell me why I can't be surrounded by sentient one-dimensional lines, please. Well, based on how we understand how, how consciousness works, it what would be I tricky. Just, yeah, right. We could be surrounded by one-dimensional lines that aren't thinking, which is maybe yeah. even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but then that makes me think, like, am I really thinking or am I just – Am I just much more complicated in the way in, in the story I tell myself about my predetermined thoughts and actions? Mm-hmm. I don't know if free will exists, John, but I feel like it does. <laughs> I know I, I know that it doesn't exist to a large extent because I know well, I, certain, I certainly know that I oftentimes have no idea how I got onto twitter.com. Well, no, but I also think like sometimes you don't get to choose what you think about even though you are ostensibly the captain of this free will will ship. I wrote a whole novel about this, Hank. I thought very very hard about it for about 6 <laughs> years. I woke up in the morning thinking about it and went to bed at night thinking about it. And because like one of the like fundamental problems of free will for me is that it's very obvious that we don't have free will in certain moments because if you have a compound fracture in your arm it's very difficult to not think about it right mhm if you're in, if you're in a lot of pain you can't think like or at least if when i'm in a lot of pain the way that i think is to some extent circumscribed by that pain and that's not just true for pain, right? It's also true for lots of other things. When you're massively falling in love, the way that you think is circumscribed by that experience. And so some stuff that we don't choose shapes our thoughts all the time. The question is whether all of our thoughts are entirely shaped by stuff we don't choose, which in the end I uh, wiggled out of. That was my solution when I was writing turtles all the way down. Yeah. I think that's mostly, that's mostly what the philosophers have done about it too. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I, t- I took a cue from them. Yeah. Somebody in, in college once said, do you think free will exists or not? Or do you think that free will is built into the larger system of everything being inevitable? And I was like, that last one sounds like a real weasel. That sounds like a big old cop out. You're not, you know, that's not a thing. That's just a way to say that that free will doesn't exist without admitting that it doesn't exist. I feel, I think that what how I feel is important for philosophical conversations, which I know is different from how some, uh, many people approach these questions, but I feel like I make choices and I feel like my ability to feel that way is important for me to be able to make the choices that whether or not they are inevitable are the ones I want to feel like I'm making. And so I feel free will. And I'm sure that that really is going to work for Kierkegaard or whatever. I don't even know if Kierkegaard talked about free will, but like, they seems all like did, he buddy. They all did. <laughs> <laughs> so some of them got rid of it pretty quickly, but they all, they, they all had to deal with it at least a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So obviously this is a very uh, serious episode of the podcast for some reason. I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on with Hank and me, but for a long time, I when I was in high school, a teacher told me about this uh, debate in the Middle Ages about how many angels could fit on the head of a pin. Mm-hmm. And all of these really smart, really well-read European theologians devoting themselves to how many angels can fit on the head of a pin, which turns out to just not be a very interesting question. It's, it's like the wrong question to be asking. And so it's it's a very important question if 
you need to know how many angels can fit on the head of a pin or if knowing how many angels can fit on the head of a pin would shape your life in a deep and profound way. Right. For me, I don't (laughs) think that I need to know the answer to free will in any kind of like cosmic sense, Mm -hmm. just as I don't need to know how many angels can fit on the head of a pin in order to live my life well. Now, if I knew in a cosmic sense that everything was predetermined, it still wouldn't change what you're talking about, Hank, which is the the experienced reality of, albeit limited, choice. Yeah, well, and this just sort of gets to the whole question of what consciousness is and like what is the, the, the spotlight that I shine upon the world as it exists around me, which is something that I have also very much not gotten to the bottom of. When I have heard about angels on the head of a pin, at first, and they were they dancing? Was there something about them dancing on the head of a pin? I wasn't sure which side of the pin was the head, if it was the pointy part or the flat part. You thought there were all these little angels getting impaled on the well, pointy part of the pin? this is the thing. If they're small enough, they could fit on the head of the pin. Like if you bust out a microscope, you'll find that that's actually not like infinitely pointy. It's blunt eventually like there are right it's just like a dome at the tip it's just very small so there you could have an angel party on that part too and then there's all kinds of different pins i was imagining the kind of pin that had the little like a like a embroidery pin that has the little like plastic red ball at the top Mm. so you could grab onto it which is a much bigger head than the pins that i'm sure they were talking about then how many what kinds of pins did they have were they always was their standard pin size it seems Seems very improbable, considering they didn't even have interchangeable parts back then. This reminds me of something important, which is that if you could create a pin with an infinitely sharp edge, Mm -hmm. could you cut a piece of paper such that it is fully (laughs) two selves that are precisely added together the size of the previous self? Mm -hmm. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by an infinitely sharp pin. An infinitely sharp pin. Once again, it can't exist, so it's only so much fun to think about. This podcast is also brought to you by Bolognese. It smells going in, but not going out. I don't know that I would would totally agree with that. (laughs) That's not what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Hank loves a poop joke. I mean, uh, Hank loves a poop joke. He just... He's always loved him. And today, and today, of course, the podcast is also brought to you by the, the, the idea of light. The, the idea <laughs> right, of I light. About that. It didn't exist until 250 years ago. You, you had me convinced it was like 100 years ago. It doesn't matter. It's equally ludicrous. Oh, no, it's even worse. Peri- it is worse. It's equally ludicrous at all periods of human <sighs> history to be like, well, you know, they just didn't have a way of differentiating between when they could see each other and when they couldn't. And this podcast is brought to you by the Awesome Socks Club. In order to limit inventory, we only have it open for two weeks a year with limited sign-up dates to fill up throughout the rest of the year. But but these are the main sign-up window. We now have ankle socks available. That means that those people who have always been like, but I want ankle socks, you can sign up now. You can go to awesomesocks.club slash uh, some, just that. Well, if you go to awesomesocks.club slash DHJ, I think you'll get $5 off. Oh. So do that and then 
and then you'll get five dollars off. Awesomesocks.club slash DHJ. You'll get a pair of socks delivered to your door once a month. Uh, designed by a different independent artist, and 100% of the profit goes to decrease maternal and child mortality in Sierra Leone. $5 off your first pair, just to be clear. $5 off your first pair, yes. Okay. We also have a Project for Awesome message this week from Neetage to Marissa. Dear Marissa, once I never understood online friendships, but I'm so grateful that our shared love for biochemistry memes and the Vlogbrothers brought us together virtually. You're a wonderful friend, and I'm so proud of you for your perseverance and dedication as you put together your master's thesis. I truly believe nothing can stop you. Keep looking up. P.S. Thank you, Hank and John, for everything you do. Live long and prosper. I, I just have to say, Marissa, I do think that there's something that can stop you and i think it's if you <laughs> if you cut if you cut your master's thesis in half <laughs> precisely down the middle i don't think it becomes two master's theses no it does not become two master's theses actually john we have a question that is kind of about this okay great this episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank 
to get 15% off. So someone asked, dear Hank and John, what categories aren't made up? I just watched a TikTok from Hank where he said that almost all categories are made up, which, yes, but which ones aren't made up? Maybe I'm missing something obvious, but I can't even think of any. Best wishes, Katie. So our our prevailing guess at the moment is that at least as we generally think of it, categories like electron are not made up. Yeah. So there's a bunch of subatomic particles that that fall into the unmade up category thing. Um, we think, uh, unless yeah, it's it, all made up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if yeah. it was all made up, then the we're really subatomic going in particles today. So were, we're made consciousness, up. we're 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 uh, free will, and yeah. we're simulation theory. All going on at once. No, not necessarily simulation theory. There's a bunch of ways that the universe could have been made up, and that we could be living inside of a universe that was created by something other than what we understand to be the the natural forces we can observe. And mm-hmm. in all of those theories, electrons are kind of a little bit somewhat made up. Gotcha. But regardless, they are a category. The thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. They all seem to be uh, identical, which is a weird thing about subatomic particles. And, uh, and, and in that, it makes it much easier to draw a hard line around what they are and aren't. Uh, because there's not like a sort of thing that's halfway between an electron and a proton. There's just, it's a totally different thing in so many different ways. And, and, and then that also means that things made up of electrons and protons and neutrons, like atoms, that there are, you know, there is an iron atom that has a certain number of neutrons and there's an iron atom that has a different number of neutrons. And those are like two understandably different and you can understand their proportions relative to each other on earth. And it, it's very clear that there isn't like a, there isn't a, 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 you know, an atom that has like half a proton. They all have, right. they all have a whole number of protons. This is also true of lots of things in mathematics where there are categories that are like, there's a hard line around what is a integer and what is not, you know, like right, it's just, right, it's, right. it's a defined, it's, you know, is that made up? No, I don't think it is. Well, but even if it's ma- even if it's made up, it's still a category that holds no matter what. Right. Well, uh, and in that and- way, like there are things you can make up that that hold no matter what because the societal structures are are so like this is a question like could a master's thesis be something that is definitely a master's thesis because there is really strong institutions around what counts as a master's thesis and what doesn't because it it has to be approved by the system in order to exist as a master's thesis maybe but i think that i think that most of those categories fall apart if you look hard enough at them like oh yeah i think that most most categories that are human made, this is one of the things that I think makes mathematics appealing, is that most categories that are human made uh, fall apart eventually, right? Like the, the the category of photography seems like a specific thing until you add three pictures in a row together and, and you have a, a GIF and, and or GIF, depending on your worldview. The category... <laughs> of t-shirt seems to make sense until somebody adds a couple buttons and a collar to it, at which point it sort of becomes a polo shirt, etc. John, do you, do you know what the T in t-shirt stands for? I do. It's for Tyrannosaurus because it has short arms. That's a good dad joke, but it's not the actual truth. 
Um, Truth it is, it's just the, shaped like a T. It stands for the T that the shirt makes. <laughs> just <laughs> that's right, John. So, like, he, but here's the thing. Here's my just to continue to get overly whoa, whoa, deep whoa, on I, things. I, sorry, oh, I hate to done. do this, but I, I need to roll back real fast and just tell okay. you one thing, which is yeah. that. I just said it's a good joke, but the truth is, and I just want to clarify that it wasn't a good joke. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Okay. So to to illustrate the weirdness here, there, yeah. there, there isn't a such thing as a sock. Like you can look at a sock and be like, that's a sock. But then there are play, there are times when you're like, mm, is that still a sock? Like at what point? Like if it just goes over your toes but doesn't go over the heel, is that a sock still? If it mm-hmm. goes all the way, like if it goes above mm-hmm. the knee, is it like at what mm-hmm. point is it a legging? Right. Or I don't know. Right. There's other words for it. And then eventually or, like or it goes it all the way over underwear? Your, yeah. Eventually it goes all the way over your butt and it's definitely not a sock anymore. But like where's the line? Right. And there is uh, no line, but there is definitely an awesome socks club sock. I could, because there are only like 24 of them so far. So you can definitely draw a line and say that is, or is not an awesome socks club sock. Right. So that's an interesting thing about like societal definitions. Like you can create categories that by virtue of not being abstract and be, but being very specific are actually uh, categories that you know, while being human created are entirely definable. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I just don't love the fascination with categorization right now that much. Like if you married to a museum curator and I am (laughs) one thing, one thing you'll note is there, there will be a lot of conversations in museums about what should be in the photography collection and what should be in the contemporary art collection and what should be in the, um, European art collection and what should be in the Islamic art collection and, and et cetera, and, and, and where those lines are and they all bleed together. And some of that stuff is, is just functional, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have to organize a, museum. You have to organize a library. And so you need some kind of cataloging system, some kind of organizing principle. But by relying on categories so much, we start to think that they are really real or that they're deeply applicable or that they mean more than they mean. And Mm -hmm. so I, I wish that I wish that when we were talking about photography or we were even when we're talking about master's theses, that we were talking about useful fictions or fictions that become real because we all agree upon them and and then are subject to change as what we understand and agree upon changes mm-hmm. because that's the truth of categories is that we are doing the categorizing and the way that we understand the categories will change over time as it always has yeah and it never it never stops This next question comes from Floyd, who asks, Dear Hank and John, since the Martian day is the soul, and soul is just the name for the sun, does that mean that the days on other planets are also souls? I kind of feel like other planets deserve their own names for their days. Planets and Perseverance, Floyd. It's even Mm. worse than that, Floyd. What is it? Mars gets soul, and every other planet just gets day, just like the Venusian day, the the day on Jupiter, the Uranian day. And then and Mars gets souls. It's not good. You got, there's also lunar days, which is actually like exceptionally confusing because it's more than one thing. The lunar day is the amount of time it takes for the moon to go around the earth and also the time that it takes for the, the moon to spin mm. uh, in relative to the sun. Mm. It's totally different things. I always find the scale yeah. of this stuff very challenging. Like what is the word for the sun's day? Does the sun have a day? Like does it spin like on its own axis relative 
to the Milky Way it, as it rotates around the Milky Way? It does. It does. So what is the word for the solar day? The su- so the sun rotates like the Earth does. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that there's a word for that, but it does it every like 25, 27 days. Oh, wow. It's also confusing because it like rotates at different speeds at different latitudes because it's, of course, a ball of plasma. So, <laughs> But at the equator, that's how long it takes for wow. the equator to go around. 25 to 27 days. And then it's also has a solar year, which is it traversing around the Milky Way galaxy, which I assume is longer than a year. Yeah, I think that that's like 250 million years. So I'm probably not going to be here for the next one is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, it's weird to think that like the last time we were here around uh-huh. the galaxy yeah, was like before dinosaurs existed. Right. It, the Tuatara was just evolving. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that how old the Tuatara is? Tuatara are around 250 million years old. Wow. They emerged early in that, what was it, the Cambrian? No, no. Okay. That's, the, that's the, their last common ancestor with, with lizards and snakes was 250 million years ago. Yeah, but that was- That's that, wild. Yeah. So yeah, they've been around for a very long time. Tuatara might be one of the only, I was going to say complicated animals, but if you've ever hung out with a Tuatara, it's actually not that complicated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they've been around for a very long time. They knew this space in time, maybe last time around, and we sure didn't. We're younger than polar bears. (laughs) Which are very young. (laughs) Oh, yeah, polar bears are super young. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, it's been a serious podcast, so I thought we'd we'd answer a serious question. Okay. We get a lot of questions about about loss and coping with loss, uh, and this one is from McKenna, who says, Dear John and Hank, last month my brother passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in his sleep, leaving behind me, my parents, his wife, and his one-year-old son. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for how to deal with this grief and keep his memory alive, especially for my nephew, Pumpkins and Penguins, McKenna. So I don't have any advice for getting through grief. I'm a little suspicious of those who do unless they are on that journey with you. Like one of the things that I've found about grief is that it's it's so particular. It's so specific to the circumstances of the person you lost, the age at which you lost them, all that stuff. And so I I think the main thing is that it's okay that it's hard. Like this is a huge, huge loss and you're having to try to get used to a very different world. Cheryl Strayed said once that one of the hard things about loss is that everyone else is living on, it feels like everyone else is living on planet earth and you're living on planet, Mm. my my brother just died. Mm Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really true, that part of what's so disorienting about it is that you're not on the same planet. And that's why I think grief groups can be helpful, finding other people who are going through, if obviously not the same experience, but who are also going through grief, who are also um, living on that strange planet can be helpful. As far as keeping your brother's memory alive, I, you should talk about him. You know, you should talk about mm-hmm. him with his kid um, when you when you feel all the times that you feel like you're able to with his spouse, with your parents. Uh, sometimes it, it starts to feel unmentionable 
uh, or at least in my own life, I've had periods where loss was so overwhelming that it began to feel unmentionable. And I think continuing to talk about someone uh, makes it mentionable, which, as Mr. Rogers said, not to lean on all of, not to lean on quotes, but Mr. Rogers used to say that anything mentionable is manageable. And I've always loved that hmm. because it's a lot of times it's the stuff that we're scared to talk about or embarrassed or ashamed to talk about that can kind of like fill up those, those spaces within us and really take over. And so, yeah, talk about him and show pictures. Yeah. And I think also be uh, forgiving of your own uh, like abilities in the moment. As we spend a lot of time talking about in this podcast, uh, we, we are only under a certain amount of control of our minds right? and, and what we are capable of. And that, that is never more obvious than when we are living on, when, when we are living on the planet, my brother died. Right. And uh, it, it takes up your whole consciousness. And, uh, and then in the moments when you're free of it, it suddenly crashes back in and yeah. you have no control over when and how it crashes back in. So it, it, it's, it's about understanding that this is, it is a new reality that you uh, can't control. And that also extends into your own self, which is a whole lot, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think giving yourself that permission and that acknowledgement that this is a lot. And I also think like it's the, the, the email comes at an interesting moment because a, a month after someone dies, a lot of the help tends to fade away. A lot of the, mm -hmm. you know, talking about it with people in every conversation tends to fade away, but you're still real, real deep in the grief. Mm -hmm. And so other people may feel like it's over. But for you, it's, you know, it's not going to be over. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we're thinking about you and really sorry for your loss. Before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I have to do a correction from last week. Uh, uh oh. Or, or the, not last week, but the one I did with Mark Watson, where I said that it would be harder for planes to fly if there was less nitrogen in the atmosphere. And Stephen is confused about that because nitrogen is less dense than oxygen. So wouldn't, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I don't mean if there was a commensurate amount, if it was all oxygen, it would be roughly as easy for planes to fly. But if there was, if there, we could breathe a, a pure oxygen atmosphere without much problem um, at the current partial pressure of oxygen. But, but, the addition of the nitrogen just means there's more atoms for the plane to hit, creating air pressure. So it could be, it could be any, any, it could be argon. It would be just as good, but it has to be something that is taking up that partial pressure. What a deeply necessary correction. I mean, that is, that is certainly the biggest mistake in the history of our podcast. I've never heard before of us missing the mark by so much. <laughs> Wanted to be clear. So... This week in AFC Wimbledon news, a longtime nerd fighter and Dear Hank and John listener and AFC Wimbledon fan named Phoebe put together a really helpful graph for me of when I tweet about Wimbledon games while they're happening, uh -huh. what the result of the game is. When Great. I don't tweet what the result of the game is. Wow. This is perfect for John. John, th like this... There was a time in my life when John would make me leave the room if we were watching a football game and our team started losing. 
Yeah. He's like, you have to go outside of the house now. Yeah. It's you. You're the problem. Well, Hank, I think it's ludicrous that everybody else imagines cause and effect as being so narrow that it's only about the players playing the game. Like, I've <laughs> I've been one of the players playing the game at times in my life, and there is no way that I was the only force that was deciding what was happening in the game, period. Like, if nothing else, there's wind. But also, there's just... Anyway, the point is, it doesn't matter why this is statistically significant, but it's more than statistically significant, Hank, because when I have tweeted Mm -hmm. during a Wimbledon game this season, we have won two games, drawn four, and lost six. Okay. When I have not tweeted Mm -hmm. during an AFC Wimbledon game, we have won four, drawn none, lost none. (gasps) John, you can tell me, you can tell me all day long that whether I tweet doesn't matter, but the statistics disagree. Are you watching when you're not tweeting? Yeah. Okay. I'm just not tweeting. Well, I mean, it's not a surprise to me that the problem is Twitter. That's true of I, most I, things these days. I know. I know. I I also was ultimately not terribly surprised by this data. But what it means is that I absolutely cannot tweet about any AFC Wimbledon games during the game for the <laughs> no, rest of the season. No chance. Because we won over the weekend admittedly we were playing harrogate town but they, we won uh, there's a there's a, on in league two there are some when i look at the table yeah there are some that don't have logos and i'm always yeah. like you don't even have a logo yeah i know so the, the, <laughs> the teams that have been recently promoted they don't get like badges on google yeah and harrogate town does not have a badge they're also in 21st place but we were down 2-1 so i was working out during the game we were down 2-1 we we let in two in like unbelievably frustrating early second half goals, and I got so mad that I slammed the computer shut. And then I got a text message from a friend when we scored and made it two two. And I watched the rest of the game, and we scored in like the eighty fourth minute to make it two two. And then we scored three minutes later. Josh wow. Davison, twenty two year old Josh Davison, looks like such a good striker, such a good player. So we scored. We won 3-2, and suddenly we are almost at the top of the League Two tables, second half, bottom half. (laughs) You're almost at the top of the bottom half of the league. In the bottom half of the league. You're nearly at the top of the bottom half. We are third from the top of the top of the bottom half of the week. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I'm so, I'm so happy. We would be in a playoff position if the bottom (laughs) half of the league were the top half of the league. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, one day at a time, one day at a time, but I mean, we had a couple, we had a couple real game changing players, including Alfie Bendel, who is a very promising ginger. And I don't think he would mind my saying that he is 18 years old and he is so good when he gets on the pitch. It's just incredible. And Courtney Sr., another Wimbledon youth player, just looks really, really good. So I I felt lots of Wimbledon fans were like, I can't believe we almost lost to Harrogate. And I was like, I can't believe we beat Harrogate. So I'm excited. Well, hold on. Hold on. 
Yeah, that's I'm the job. Really, hearing what a squeaker it was does not make me happy <laughs> or inclined to invest, but uh, <laughs> congratulations. So um, last year in Mars News, last year right before Christmas, the Insight Lander, which was there to study the inside of Mars and uh, has a seismometer on board. It recorded a, a Mars quake, magnitude four Mars quake. I remember. And a few months later, uh, scientists were looking at the data from Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter's camera and spotted a new 492-foot-wide crater in an, on, on Mars. And using that data, they figured out the timing of when and where the crater formed matched the epicenter and timing of the Mars quake. Whoa. So it wasn't a Mars quake. It was a meteor strike. It wasn't a Mars quake. Yeah. We didn't detect a Mars quake. We detected a meteor strike and a big one. Yeah. We, I mean, we, have, we detected a lot of Mars quakes as well, but this particular one was a Mars quake caused by a strike of a meteor. Uh, it probably was around 16 to 39 feet long. It's very specific for a wide range. I'd say 15 to 40, personally, yeah. if we're just going to go by. <laughs> I feel like that's more like where the, where the confidence is. Uh, some of the yeah. ejecta from the impact landed around 23 miles away. Wow. And the impact has also excavated a boulder-sized pieces of ice close to Mars's equator, which is exciting because uh, maybe you could just go there and be like, oh, recent, recent boulder of ice. Let's go there where there's ice boulders. Now, Hank, if this same meteor had hit Earth, yeah. it would not have been a big issue, right? Because we have a thicker atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so more of it would have burnt up, right? Right. But I think that at that size, I, th I think at, at that, like at that size of meteorite, it, it would have been a deal. You like, we, it would have been a thing that hit the, the surface of earth. And it's just dumb luck that it hit Mars instead of us. Well, I mean, we also like, we have meteorites that size hitting Mars or hitting earth fairly regularly too. Oh, great. Cool. Most of them land in the ocean because of how most of the earth is the ocean. Yeah. I also don't like that fact. I don't like the fact that I can't go on most of my home planet because my ancestors crawled out of the oceans with their wet lungs and they carry around like mm -hmm. wet wetness because they can't be in the ocean all the time. I don't like any of it. I don't like any of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm opposed to the whole thing. It's really weird. It's I really don't weird. Want to I want to be alive. Uh -huh. I want to have a consciousness. I want to love and I want to experience sensory pleasure. I want to eat great meals. I just don't want to always be in a body. I want to choose if I'm in a body. Well, I mean, Facebook's working on it, John. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. Zuck, Zuck, you've misinterpreted me completely. Actually, I take it back, Zuck. I want to be in a body. I just all, please God let me time. be in a body. I'll stay in a body. I'll stay in a body. I didn't realize that it was this or the metaverse. I'm, I'll stay in a body. <laughs> oh, maybe I should. Maybe I should do a vlog where there's punishment that's like be in the metaverse for 15 hours. I would get so I, sick. <laughs> Did you watch the Marquez video about the metaverse? I thought it was really good. I, I didn't yet. I'm excited to it see it. It was really good. It was really interesting. Yeah. And, and I kind of emerged from it thinking, oh, there might be something to this virtual reality stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, we'll see. One day at a time. Okay. Well, thank you for potting with me. 
Thanks to everybody for listening. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week and stuff at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. And uh, thanks again for your questions, which you can send us by emailing us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. It's true. This podcast was edited by Callie Dishman. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our home, Hometown. Don't, Don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.